Hello, and welcome to this episode of Surety Today. Surety Today is a live monthly call-in podcast presented by the Surety and Fidelity Law Group at Wright, Constable, and Skeen, located in the Mid-Atlantic region. Surety Today is offered to surety claims professionals and is designed to keep you informed about important issues in the industry. Here is your host, Michael Stover. Well, welcome everyone to this edition of Surety Today. My name is Mike Stover and I'm a partner in the Surety and Fidelity Law Group here at Wright Constable and Skeen in, well, in Baltimore, Maryland usually, but I'm uh, in Richmond today. I'm joined today by our, our special guest, Ms. Julia Lean with the uh, Surety and Fidelity Association of America. As always, I, I like to open up our ep- episodes with a big thank you to everyone for your support of Surety Today. We ask that you uh, pass along our contact information to any colleagues who you think Maybe interested in calling in or checking out one of our podcasts. And, and remember, you can listen to any one or all of our 60 uh, prior episodes of Surety Today anytime, anywhere from any one of our multiple platforms on um, Surety Today page on our website at wcslaw.com as a podcast at Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. Just search for uh, Surety Today and on our microsite at suretytoday.net. Uh, last time I checked last week, we had over 4,857 downloads of our podcast, so folks are listening in. Uh, as always, we've uh, muted the line during the presentation to avoid any background noise, and we'll unmute the line at the end for any questions. So as I mentioned, I'm coming to you today from Richmond, Virginia. My wife and I came down to Richmond on Saturday to celebrate our 34th wedding anniversary. My wife and I were uh, high school sweethearts. I played varsity football, and she was a cheerleader. We dated uh, through college and got married in the summer between college and law school. So 34 years, seven kids, and now three grandkids later, we're still very much in love. So a big shout out to my better three quarters, uh, Elizabeth Ann Stover, a true saint, for putting up with me all these years. Today will be enough about me. So today we'll be discussing the Surety and Fidelity Association of America, or as I'll refer to it as the SFAA. Uh, We're going to talk about what it is, what it does, uh, what legislative trends it's seeing, what is happening with the the infrastructure bills, what amicus briefs uh, has it been involved with. So let me introduce, uh, do an introduction of our special guest, Ms. Julia Lean. Julia is Vice President of Policy and General Counsel for the SFAA. She is responsible for leading the SFAA's policy, legal, and promotional work for the contract surety, commercial surety, and fidelity lines of business, as well as the legal and risk management issues affecting the association. Julie has over 20 years of legal uh, and business experience in the surety industry. Prior to joining the SFAA, Julie worked for over 17 years for surety and fidelity companies in both claims and legal departments. During her time with these companies, she developed expertise in a wide variety of, of areas, including underwriting, regulatory, and legal issues. More recently, prior to joining the SFAA, she built a surety agency as the founder and CEO where she launched a new commercial surety product in the multifamily housing market. Uh, she's, offered, she's authored several publications covering surety and fidelity topics, and she's been a guest speaker at numerous surety and fidelity industry conferences. Uh, she graduated uh, with a Juris Doctorate from Syracuse University College of Law and earned her Bachelor of Arts uh, from Drew University. So without further ado, let's get started. Um, For those who are unfamiliar with the SFAA, please tell us about 
what the, the SFAA does and what its mission is. Well, uh, Mike, first, I want to thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, and secondly, I want to congratulate you on your anniversary. That is tremendous. Uh, seven children is not something that I uh, <laughs> um, would, would have attempted, but two was enough for us. So I commend you. Um, and three grandchildren, fantastic. So congratulations um, yep. to you and your thanks, wife. Thanks, thanks. So uh, the Surety and Fidelity Association, um, we are a, uh, we actually serve in three capacities. Um, we are a national trade association. Uh, we are a licensed rating organization and we serve as a statistical agent for the industry. Um, we essentially provide thought leadership through policy positions and serve as a trusted advisor for the surety and fidelity industry, state and federal agencies and legislators. Um, I'll focus more on our surety work today, uh, given um, the interests of your um, uh, listeners. So we, um, just to provide you some more specifics in terms of um, us as a trade association, um, we advocate, monitor, and report to members on industry-related legislative, regulatory, and judicial developments. Uh, we promote the value of surety bonds to various constituencies to encourage their use. Um, we advocate policy positions on issues to our legislatures, both at the state and federal level, uh, to agencies, courts, trade associations, um, and promote the interests of our members. Uh, and we seek to educate various federal and state agencies on surety bonds, and particularly provisions of concern either directly uh, with conversations with the owners or through our members. Um, as a licensed rating organization, we develop and file loss costs with state insurance departments for our members uh, to help satisfy their mandatory reporting requirements countrywide. We also maintain and file a comprehensive manual of loss costs, rules, procedures, and classifications. Um, and then finally, as a statistical agency, um, we collect and report surety experience to state insurance regulators. Uh, we use these stats to help us develop sound, accurate loss costs for our members uh, that they can utilize in setting their premiums for their individual companies. Uh, we, are, um, we do organizationally, and let me talk a little bit about our structure and our current priorities. We have 18 board of directors, uh, 14 standing advisory committees with whom we consult on surety and fidelity issues as we develop our policy and advocacy positions. We represent over 400 companies, um, and we, which account for over 98% of the surety and fidelity premium written in the U.S. Um, in 2020, just to give you um, a sense of where surety premium is today, uh, the industry wrote $6.9 billion uh, in surety premium, or earned uh, $6.9 billion in surety premium. Uh, and just to give you a little bit more um, information on our top priorities currently. Um, advocacy is always our number one um, priority. We are looking to preserve current contract and commercial surety protections through our legislative work. We want to ensure the Federal Miller Act and State Little Miller Acts remain in place, as well as all the other commercial surety protections that are mandated uh, throughout the state and federal level. Uh, we're also looking to promote new public sector opportunities. Um, one area in which we've done a, a tremendous amount of work, um, and I'll speak about this a little bit later, 
um, possibly, but we're looking to increase public sector uh, bonding through new federal legislation requiring bonding of projects that are financed through federal transportation and water financing programs. Uh, those are known as TIFIA and WIFIA, um, and then also through state P3 legislation. And then finally, promoting the value of bonding is a, a new undertaking for the association where we're looking to support our value proposition um, by engaging in a data project um, and uh, engaging an outside firm to help us develop data. As you know, data sort of rules the world today. So we think it's very important as we uh, tell our story and share our value proposition um, at various levels that we also be able to support it, not just through qualitative statements, but also through quantitative ones. That's interesting to me. So this, this value proposition, talk a little bit more about that. What, what exactly are you saying to, to owners and agencies regarding well, surety bonds in that? In yeah, so the, prim the primary um, qualitative arguments that we're making today is that, um, you know, we're going to protect your project, um, say, on the contract surety side. The value of the bond is really about in ensuring performance. And through our pre-qualification process, sureties are able to um, really take a deeper dive into contractors uh, to ensure that they have the capacity and the competency to um, qualify and complete the projects that they're bidding on. Um, and also a, a big part of the value proposition for the bond is you know, the payment guarantees down the line from the general contractor to subcontractors and suppliers, you know, ensuring that uh, stream of payment um, is really important to the various constituencies working on these projects. Those two are, two are really the primary value propositions that we um, uh, speak to. And now we're trying to support yeah. through, through quantitative uh, data research. And how do you get that message out? I mean, it seems like it's such a broad audience. Some of it goes, um, is done through our legislative work, um, through um, the uh, legislators that we will, uh, you know, we speak to on, on the Hill. We do um, a day on the Hill each year uh, in collaboration with NASBP, um, where we meet with um, folks on the Hill. Um, and we take our experts um, amongst our membership, uh, as well as government affairs, um, our government affairs team and others on the SFAA staff to meet with um, those individuals that we identify as critical to, um, you know, transportation and infrastructure issues, as an example, in construction. And we've engaged recently right. on some really important infrastructure work. Yeah, and I want to get into that in a little bit. So one of the functions that, that you do perform is you, you mentioned about monitoring the laws that are being considered across the country and state and federal levels. Uh, tell us about that process. How do you, how do, you do that? And, and, and what do you do when you see something that, uh, that looks wrong? So um, we have a, a, a research um, uh, subscription that we um, uh, have retained through Lexis. Um, it's a service where it helps us identify um, bills that are pending across the country um, that affect surety. 
uh, we use our government affairs um, advisory committee to help us identify the highest priority issues uh, in the industry for our members. We have a great advocacy team headed up by Adam Brockmeyer, um, as well as Dalton Defendas, who heads up our federal affairs, and Cody Holt, who helps us with the um, initial analysis of legislation. And then we um, take that and we meet with a state affairs and a federal affairs um, subcommittee on a biweekly basis um, to share with them the most critical um, bills that we have found. And, and then we work um, with those states and those legislators and APCIA to help effect changes where we see problematic um, issues. And I'll give you an example. Currently in the commercial surety space, um, across the country is a significant effort to do away with um, uh, licensing requirements for various professions. And uh, those licensing requirements in many states require surety bonds to be posted by those individuals. Um, take the contractor's license bond as the best example, probably the most familiar to, to those on this call or listening in on this podcast. Um, there's an effort to do away with those licensing requirements as an effort to reduce um, the barriers to entry for various professions. Uh, make it more accessible. Uh, President Biden recently issued an executive order last week uh, looking to increase competition and do away with these licensing requirements. Um, so what we've done is work in concert with APCIA um, and the various states where this comes up to ensure that the bonding requirement uh, can remain in place because it is a significant um, uh, part of the commercial surety business. So that's one way or that illustrates one way in which we're looking to, um, you know, not necessarily look as if we are um, opposed. Uh, we are not opposed to the reduction of barriers to entry for various professions, but we do uh, advocate for the importance of, of retaining those bonding requirements and probably even more important if you are going to reduce the licensing requirements. Right. I. Uh, every now and then I see, you know, various uh, state legislatures are trying, if they don't already have them, uh, trying to put in place some form of bad faith legislation against sureties. Um, do you guys get involved with those issues? Absolutely. Um, there was an effort recently in Maryland, um, and we engaged with, um, we engaged members who are located in Maryland or who have key contacts there. Uh, we engaged APCIA and worked together um, to defeat those uh, bills. And, and fortunately, we've been successful um, to date. Um, but, you know, we certainly um, have identified that as a, as a top priority. Yeah, it can get, it can get messy when those things uh, become laws. So uh, switching gears, as, as you mentioned earlier, and as everyone knows, the, uh, the federal government has been wrangling with this whole infrastructure concept and various bills and proposals uh, have been floated and, and the word infrastructure has been defined to mean many things. Uh, obviously these bills could have huge impact on the economy and uh, in general and the construction industry specifically. What, what's the SFAA's involvement in in that process? 
So we um, actually have been involved uh, intimately in supporting the investment. We have engaged with a broad coalition of stakeholders, um, which includes the Associated General Contractors of America, uh, known as ADC, the Chamber of Commerce, and the Transportation Construction Coalition um, to advance that infrastructure investment. Um, and then furthermore, we also have advanced surety-specific related legislation um, as part of that infrastructure investment um, uh, legislation. Um, we had a House bill um, that was co-sponsored by uh, Lynch um, out of Massachusetts, um, sent, uh, sorry, Representative Stephen Lynch out of uh, Massachusetts, um, Representative Troy Balderson, who's a Republican out of Ohio, uh, Representative Chris Pappas, who is a Democrat out of New Hampshire, and then a Representative Jake Huckenclaus out of Massachusetts also, um, to um, ensure uh, bonding uh, both performance and payment security um, requirements were in place for those um, infrastructure projects receiving federal financing uh, assistance through what I uh, mentioned earlier as of one of our priorities through the TIPIA program, which is the Transportation Infrastructure Finance and Innovation Act. Um, and we had a, a really uh, good success last week in that uh, the House bill passed with our amendment, um, uh, 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 along with the, um, the House bill. So uh, that was a tremendous um, advancement for us. We also have a uh, companion bill in the Senate um, as you know, um, the Senate is not yet uh, voted on their bill, um, has not come, it's come out of committee, but um, the next two weeks uh, we'll hear more in terms of what, what, what will happen on the Senate side, but we do have um, sponsors uh, for a companion bill there in the Senate um, amongst uh, Senators Van Hollen and Round, uh, similar uh, or identical actually to the House um, amendment that we uh, attach to the infrastructure, infrastructure investment um, bill. And then- um, Great, that's great. Yeah, yeah, so we're, um, we're excited. And um, of course, we hope to have an opportunity in the next um, uh, couple of weeks during the Senate discussions to include our uh, amendment there um, with their bill. So we will see what happens, but um, we will have a busy few weeks. Certainly, I think it's it's really great to know that the that the you know the surety industry has people up there on the hill you know you know shouldering their way in there and getting into people's offices and bending people's ears about you know about our industry and, and looking out for us and protecting us so that's really great. Um, you mentioned uh, earlier about um, in addition to these um, uh, two bills that. Uh, working on issues relating to the 3P, the public-private partnership um, developments. And in a lot of states and a lot of, and maybe even the federal government, we don't have the bonding requirements um, for those types of construction. And, and I, I, you all, I understand the SFA is involved with that? Yes, absolutely. Um, we watch the P3 legislation very closely. Um, in fact, we, um, you know, in based on the work that our advocacy team has done, um, both between um, the federal affairs led by Dalton Defenders and um, state affairs um, and the government affairs overall led by Adam Brockmeyer, 
We have watched that closely. We have charts tracking where there are P3 enabling acts, as well as um, what payment and performance security um, is in place. Um, if we have an opportunity to ensure um, or um, you know, include payment and performance security requirements in P3 legislation um, as um, states take up the P3 project, we look to add those requirements in. Um, and so that is uh, one of our top priorities in terms of increasing opportunities for our members. And as you yeah, know, it, with it the, always was. Go ahead. Sorry, I was just, just going to add, you know, one thing that we're anticipating or hoping, I think um, this is spoken about at the federal level as well with the infrastructure investment that's expected um, and with um, state budgets um, not being adequate um, to support all of the infrastructure needs still with the investment that comes from the federal uh, government. We expect that P3 projects may um, increase in popularity or utility um, and across more states than currently being utilized as a method for construction. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's interesting that, that, that P3s actually got off the ground with, without bonding required. You, could, you, you know, you're on state property or federal property and, and you know, there was no bonding required. It just was an odd situation given the nature of how the P3s work. But uh, yeah. one of the functions that you guys that you guys do, uh, the SFA does, is education. And I really wanted to thank you all for uh, for your work in doing the case law summaries. We uh, we borrow from those every time we do a case law update here on the on the podcast. So that's a real that's a huge job trying to track all the cases around the country. How do you guys do it? Um, we really depend on our Alexa service um, in terms of identifying the cases, but, you know, we have between um, Stephen Taylor, who is a member of my team, um, and a law clerk, we really, um, it is just part of our weekly work, um, reading the cases and summarizing them. So uh, I'm happy to hear that you utilize it and depend on it regularly. We always love to hear that. And it's, you know, it's a, you know, it's a service that we we are um, happy to provide and feel is is really important for the industry. Um, so we, we do do our best to try and keep everybody abreast of development. Yeah, that's great. And also, there's a people may not be aware, but I mean, there's a database that you maintain that's searchable. So if you want to search for a certain type of issue or case or whatever. Uh, you can go online at the SFAA site if you've got the right login credentials and you can access cases, and that's, uh, that turns out to be very handy, too. I would just like to say that, you know, in the future, if you all come across any cases that I'm involved with where maybe the result wasn't, you know, 100% uh, in favor of the surety, that you just kind of overlook those cases. That would just, you know. <laughs> sure, absolutely, Mike. <laughs> Point of personal privilege, you know. But anyway, uh, I, I wanted to talk about... I wanted to talk about the, um, the function that you guys perform with respect to um, amicus briefs in cases and wonder if you could share with us sort of how that process works and then maybe some examples of some of the recent uh, amicus briefs that you guys have been involved with. Yeah, absolutely. So essentially the process is um, our members bring to our attention or to my attention 
um, or Stephen Taylor's attention. Um, Stephen is Assistant General Counsel and uh, Director of Policy. Um, so he and I work uh, closely together on the amicus request. Um, but the membership is really um, who we depend on to bring those to our attention. Um, there are times where it will come to us uh, through their counsel. Um, and then we have a, a three-member uh, amicus subcommittee that we consult with, which consists of um, our member companies. Um, and, you know, essentially, uh, I or Stephen will do an analysis of the case, um, speak with either counsel and or our member company uh, to, you know, understand fully the case, the issues, um, the facts, and then um, prepare our analysis and proposal to the subcommittee. Um, and based on the subcommittee's input, we will ultimately make a decision on whether or not to proceed with the amicus. Um, we do have um, a dedicated budget. Um, as you can imagine, being a small organization, it is not extensive, but we do have a budget dedicated to the amicus brief. Um, and uh, of concern to me of late is just the sheer um, uh, level of activity that seems to have increased um, from what I understand it has been historically. Historically, we seem to have maybe one or two, maybe three cases uh, pending at any particular point in time. Currently, we have um, seven to eight cases that we are working on actively and or monitoring. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's, so, that's a big increase. It is. And that is, is really over the past, since last um, September. So that's of concern to me that there's a number of cases, um, bad decisions from court. Um, you know, and there's really, um, I don't see a, a pattern necessarily. Um, one of the common issues I've seen is um, orders allowing the bond penal sum to be exceeded. Um, recently in Kentucky, um, there's an auto owner's case versus the University of Kentucky. Um, it's a decision out of the Kentucky Court of Appeals. Um, and it was, um, you know, being considered by the Kentucky Supreme Court, but unfortunately they declined. So we had been monitoring that because we um, uh, were going to seek an amicus in that matter, obviously. Um, in that case, for those not familiar, the owner um, sought indemnification and won um, that indemnification under the performance bond in excess of the bond penal sum for work the owner chose to complete and then pursue um, recovery from the surety. So it's un an unfortunate decision, but um, you know, it is uh, there and unfortunately was not taken up by the Supreme Court. Um, we are, of course, involved that, in solid. Sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, I, I was going to say, was that one of those one of those cases where the court would say, oh, well, the surety breached the bond, so therefore there's no limitations on, on its exposure? Is that the yeah. kind of argument? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a, it's a decision that, uh, you know, we all need to, to, to read and make sure we're familiar with, um, particularly for Kentucky. But... Um, there have been a couple of others um, similar to this in terms of exceeding the bond penalty. Um, but fortunately, in those cases, um, you know, it was more factually driven than it was legally. 
uh, based. So, you know, we did not um, it, we did not seek an amicus in those matters, but um, there are several others where we're involved. Um, where uh, one being Scholic, which um, I know this audience is very familiar with and you're familiar with. We've all in the industry been watching that closely. Um, we have filed our amicus. Um, it was accepted. Um, the motions for summary judgment have been fully briefed in that case. And now we're awaiting um, a court decision. And we expect the judge to rule on the papers um, without a hearing, as is his um, uh, modus operandi, typical. So um, we're also involved in uh, uh, several other cases. One is um, a bankruptcy matter out of uh, the U.S. District Court in the Middle District of Louisiana. It's uh, in Ray Falcon 5. Um, and the issues in that case um, are whether the surety bond program is an executory contract and a financial accommodation that can be assumed with the surety's consent. So a little different than what we typically see where sureties are opposing assumption of the uh, surety bond program. Um, but in this case, um, the surety actually uh, consented to its assumption, and uh, so we have weighed in on the issue with respect to the executory contract issue and then, up, and then financial accommodation. Um, there's a case in Cal, Cal uh, sorry, what? Washington. What? Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Do you have a question? Uh, I was just wondering what their arguments are that are they, they saying that it's not an executory contract, it's not a financial accommodation? Yes, they are saying that it is not a financial accommodation. Um, or actually, no, I apologize. Let me step back. It's not an executory contract, and therefore um, did not um, uh, continue in place. And therefore, the surety um, just remain um, surety's obligations uh, did not remain in place. So, what type of bond was it? It was, these are commercial surety bonds. These are not. Um, uh, okay. okay, you were gonna talk about another issue you, you guys are working on? Yeah, so uh, there's a matter out in uh, Washington Supreme Court, uh, with the Supreme Court there in Washington State. Um, it's Lake, Lake Hill Investment versus AP Rushforth Construction Company. Um, we filed an amicus in this case, uh, this case, um, it involves the Spearin Doctrine, um, and in that case, it's a matter before, which involves the con contractors, um, and we were asked to support the major construction trades on this case. So we um, uh, filed an amicus in conjunction with the AGC and ABC uh, Washington chapters. Uh, the court's decision shifted the burden of proof um, and placed a higher burden of proof on the contractor to show that its defective work was solely caused by the owner's defective plans and specs in order to recover the cost to repair the defective work. So they shifted it and they increased the burden on the uh, contractor. So there's clear implications in that case to a takeover surety's obligations um, for a contractor's defective work due to the owner's, um, or the contractor's work due to the owner's defective plans and specs. So we um, agreed yeah. to weigh in on that case, and now we're awaiting um, a decision from the court in that matter. Yeah, that's a, that's a great issue to fight. For people that don't 
to understand the Sparin Doctrine is basically an implied warranty that the government gives with respect to the plans and specifications. So that if a contractor builds to those plans and specs and there's a problem, it's the government's problem, not the contractor's problem. So, yeah, trying to shift the burden on that is uh, is not uh, kosher. <laughs> How um, if I if I have a case or or you know a, a client uh, a company has a case. How do we how do we get in touch to find you know if if you all will get involved on the amicus? Is so a, you know, website. Yeah, actually, you can just directly email me or Stephen Taylor. Um, my email is um, right on our website, um, but it's jaline at surety.org. Very simple. And um, or contact me by phone. Um, I'm always available by phone. Um, and happy to, to to discuss the case. That's fairly That's important. Great. Yeah, um, I, I, like I said, I, I for one, I'm very glad that you all are out there, um, you know, protecting the surety's interests and and advocating for the surety industry, and uh, uh, you all do a great job, and everybody that uh, that I know is uh, very pleased with the SFAA. Is Ed Gallagher still involved at all? Uh, he has. He was when I initially um, began and was very supportive and tremendously helpful as we were, um, as I was settling in. Um, but at this point, he really has moved into retirement. Um, but certainly appreciate all of the support. And you know, he does make himself available to us, of course, um, if. Uh, we have periodic issues or uh, anything we want to discuss with him, but he's not formally um, involved anymore. Yeah, he was he was always a big advocate for for the industry. So, well, we yeah. are unfortunately out of time. I think we could talk all day about the SFAA and and the great work that you guys do. And I really uh, appreciate you coming on the episode with us. Uh, we're very honored to have you and uh, all your expertise. SFAA is uh, is lucky to have you and and uh, and again thank you and um, wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me. I've really enjoyed talking with you, um, and I really do appreciate um, all of the support um, that our members provide. And we're happy to be here to to support the industry. Yeah, great. Thanks. Okay, so. Before I um, open up the line for any questions, I want to let everyone know the next edition of Surety Today will be Monday, August 9th at uh, 1230. Again, thank you uh, so much uh, for joining us today. Now, unmute the line. The conference Please. is now in talk mode. Okay, so we're opened up for any questions that anyone may have for, uh, for Julie about the SFAA. Don't be shy. No bad questions. Well, you covered everything so thoroughly. There's no questions, it seems. And it, we we often get that. We, we we some days we get a lot of questions. Some days we don't get any. But um, again, thank you and uh, uh, for joining us. And um, I wish everybody a uh, happy Monday. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surety Today. Audio recordings and white papers from prior episodes are available on the Surety Today page of the Wright, Constable, and Skeen website at wcslaw.com backslash surety-today.